And so being able to process that, that anger within yourself, but not let it get into your head and instead being able to just communicate, I feel really angry for this reason in a calm tone is so powerful. Welcome to the Bronovo Podcast, the podcast that models healthy communication for men, empowering them to start the journey of self-work. And we are recording. Good morning, Kalani. Good morning. Thanks for being here. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So what brought you to the the podcasting kind of uh sphere as far as your business? What about what about this medium uh was attractive to you? Yeah, absolutely. So what I do is is I'm actually a business coach for entrepreneurs. However, I do work in all spaces of life, career, business, strategy, and I specialize in communication and energy projection, specifically how the way that we project our energy both affects the people that we're communicating with and then also how we allow other people's energy to affect us in communication. Um, so for me, the most important thing about this work is being able to get that information out there because we don't talk a lot about communication, how to communicate properly, our emotions, our energy. A lot of that stuff isn't taught. So any way that I can share that with the world is amazing. And I think that podcasting is an awesome way to do that. Nice. Yeah, yeah, it's cool. It is. It's a it's a beautiful way to connect people. So when you say align, align energy, is there a specific kind of framework you use? Like, are you talking about chakras, or are you talking about something else, or how do you like like ex- pretend that I'm someone who has no conception of anything metaphysical? You know, how would you start to explain that to me? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. So there is a combination of the medical metaphysical part, like the chakras and and spirituality and all of that. But then there's also the the real grounded like energy, the kinetic energy, all of that kind of stuff that comes off of us when we're speaking to other people. So the principle that I like to use is actually something that my dad works with a lot that I've learned from him. And there are five specific energy states that we rotate through on a daily basis. So all of us will go through all of them because we are human. Um, But we'll find that every person has a dominant energy state that they live in, either one or two. Um, So we have determined energy, which is very forward, very like go get or get things done. We have inviting energy. That's people who are who, you know, invite people in. They're the people that are easy to talk to. We have neutral energy, which is just very like meditative, just existing, just being very relaxed. Uh, We have light energy, which is very, you you feel light. Like, you know, when you have a bounce in your step, you're really carefree. And then we have heavy energy, which is the opposite. You're very, very grounded, very serious. You don't want to be moved around. Um, So we all cycle through all of those I'm sure you'll you'll relate to to some of those, probably one of them more so than the other. And how we communicate in each of those states is different. And then also they have opposites with each other. So light and heavy and then uh, determined inviting. And when we're speaking to someone of an opposite energy state, 
it becomes really hard for us to communicate with them and understand them. Um, so really learning how to one, understand your energy, understand other people's energy and how to shift that energy for communication really helps us both connect better with people and uh, communicate in a way that the other person will understand. So cool. So in the kind of evolved state, is somebody going to also be able to identify someone else's energy state, right? Yes. To understand how to approach them. Yeah, exactly. And can you, and how, how does someone get to that level of kind of, I mean, I guess you can tell, you know, if someone's inviting and warm, it's kind of an easy one to tell, but you know, how, how do you kind of cultivate that, that sense of where somebody is along that spectrum? Yeah, absolutely. So, so a big thing is when you start learning about it, it becomes almost natural for you to pick up on it. It's once you're able to assign the words to the energies, you just know immediately because it is an innate thing within us to understand people's energy. Um, we just have to learn what words to to apply to each of those energy states. So you learn about the body language, how they're how they act, how they speak to you, the kinds of words that they use. Um, and eventually, once you learn more about that, if you're in a room with someone or having a conversation with someone, you can almost pick up on their energy instantly. Um, so for determined people, you'll you'll almost feel kind of like pushed back a little bit because they're, they're so forward moving. They're like, I need to get things done. Like, don't stand in my way, you know, and uh, then light people that you just feel like good around because they're just like carefree, happy to be here. Uh, heavy people are just very they're, they're hard to shift. So you feel just very like a little more a little more mm -hmm. heavy. That's, that's mm -hmm. the best way to describe Set in it. ways kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. And then inviting you just feel like you, you, you can talk to them easily. So are you a blend of neutral and light? I'm actually inviting and uh, heavy are my two dominant ones. Oh, interesting. But I am in lightness and neutral right now, which you're right, because I shift. Oh, cool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's cool. Good eye. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I got a very, like, even keeled. You know, like, like, um, yeah, sometimes when I do these things, people are really excited or maybe it's like nervous energy and they're very like, yeah, 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 yeah. But then I feel like you're very just like, mm -hmm. like, yeah, let's, let's, uh, <laughs> let's, let's record this podcast now. <laughs> That's dope. So you mentioned that your dad works a lot with this modality. Mm -hmm. So at what point were you introduced to it in your life? So my dad was actually a stay-at-home dad because he worked from home. Um, so my whole life, I've just been exposed to to his coaching. Um, so whenever I was just running around the house or, or now that I'm older, you know, doing work in the house, I would hear him having conversations with his clients. And I'd pick up on, on these things that he was saying, like determined energy, light energy, what is that? And like, you know, me being his daughter, I didn't really listen to what he was saying for a long time <laughs> until I was like, wait a minute, this stuff actually really applies to, to the work that I'm doing. And this sounds interesting. And, and I really took a step into it and started learning about it. And it's been an amazing experience. Awesome. What is this <laughs> structure called? Or is there like a name for it? Yeah, it's called the five energies. The five energies. Okay, cool. And what's the history of it? Or where was it? Um, designed or created? 
So it's actually based off of the principles of qi energy in uh, Chinese tradition. Um, and I'm half Chinese too. My mom's Chinese. So that's the, a nice connection for me too. And uh, it's based off of the elements. So the earth, wind, fire, water, um, and it, it puts all of those together. And then right in the middle is like, like your center, your, your, your groundedness. Um, and then they all work together to create the whole. That's so cool. Yeah. It's interesting timing too, that we're talking cause I've been kind of leaning into the more, yeah, metaphysical, I guess, stuff recently, like we're learning about chakras and I don't know, it's kind of just a nice, a nice balance to develop the intuitive eye as well as the very analytical one. Cause I'm someone who, you know, I really like the data and empirical evidence and like peer reviewed studies, all of that I put a lot of value in, but it's also nice to kind of give space to this other these other kind of areas that I know are real and true from intuition, but there, it can be hard. I feel like in the Western setting, especially it can be hard for us to kind of give them legitimacy. Yeah, absolutely. And, and bringing in that combination of the analytical side and the spiritual side is so powerful too, because it not only allows you to dream and live in this space of, of endless possibilities, but also allows you to, to execute those ideas in the Western culture. For sure. Yeah, yeah. Right. And how to kind of play the game to your advantage. Right. So was there a moment when you kind of got this this dialed in and then it changed how you interact with people? I'll reframe that. I'm going to assume yes. That's kind of like the whole point. But how about in a social setting? Like how about making friends, meeting people? Is it is it one of those things where you have to kind of like separate it because you're like, oh, these people don't even know this. So it's not fair to, <laughs> you know, keep it top of my mind. Or is it one of those things where you just kind of see it and are like, oh, that's interesting or take note of it. Do you mean like, like observing people? Mm-hmm. Like, so you meet somebody, you're out with your friends and like you meet somebody and you're like, you are heavy energy. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, I, I do definitely label that a lot in my head. I probably wouldn't say it to them unless the conversation came up. Um, but I do. Now that I'm learning more about it, too, it's almost instant. Like the second I'm talking to someone, it's it's just like it's there. It's like a part of a part of them almost. And what's the breakdown have you found? Is it kind of even across the the five or is there is there some that are more common? I think the the four other than neutral are usually pretty evenly distributed. Uh, neutral tends to be the least dominant one that people are in because it is like a meditative state. Like it's just pure like bliss, no thought. Um, and, you know, very few people, especially in Western society, live in that state. Um, but when it comes to certain environments, you can see a shift in, in how many people there are in a certain energy state. So if we look at corporate environments, there tend to be a lot more people with determined or heavy energy than there are in, in light and inviting, which is really interesting. For sure. And that probably ties in with the work you do, right? Cause you probably have clients who are in that space a lot. So yes. how does that, how does that affect them downstream in the rest of their lives? If they're kind of, you know, unaware of it, but stuck in that, in that zone for, 20 years. Yeah. Um, I think a big thing that, that we're seeing now in corporate culture 
is now that we're, we have kind of two very different generations working with each other, we have, you know, the, the older generation who tends to live in determined energy. And of course, not everyone, but that is the, the dominant state of that generation. And then we have like the Gen Zs who live a lot more in, in mostly inviting or maybe even light, I'd say more so inviting. Um, and for an inviting person to communicate with a determined person and same vice versa is extremely difficult because they are polar opposites. So you'll, you'll probably hear a lot. Gen Z's complain about their bosses being mean or being, you know, too hard on them or yelling at them. Right. And then the older ones are like, oh, they're too soft. They can't take feedback, all of that. And that's the exact difference of uh, the determined and the inviting postures. Um, and of course, a lot of people don't don't know how to shift into that. So it becomes really hard for them to get their point across in the way that the other person will understand. And then you'll see even that affect their their home life too, like not being able to communicate with your family uh, because you'll see kids, right? Kids live in pure lightness. Like they have no care in the world. They're just running around having a good time. And, you know, if, if the the someone comes home, parent comes home with determined energy and they're just like ready to yell at the kid for everything, the kid shuts down, right? And so that can just affect any part of your life when there's a disconnect in the energies and you're not able to be aware of it and shift into that. So that could be a good takeaway for parents to keep that in mind when they come home and and keep it light. And yeah. And also like use that as an opportunity to, to kind of sustain their inner child too. I would imagine. Right. Never had kids, but exactly. yeah. Yeah. I, where do you fall on that as far as soft versus, realistic and taking feedback and and how much tough love is too much tough love. Are you somebody who kind of thinks that, you know, we should be handling each other delicately or do you think that people should be able to, to take feedback (laughs) or not take feedback? That's not the right question, but you know, deal with, deal with tough criticism. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. So I'm kind of torn on my answer here because now working with communication, I'm very big on, um, you know, working with the person specifically, what they need, how they need to be communicated with and listened to. And I'm also really big on listening skills. Right. Um, but on the other, on the other hand, I, my, so my former life, I like to say <laughs> I was a division one athlete. So a few years ago I was a division one athlete, which we get yelled at a lot. We get pushed to the max. Um, and so getting that, that almost harsh feedback, like being yelled at, being pushed to exhaustion was my life for a long time. And while I don't think that that is healthy (laughs) per se, um, I do think having a little bit of the tough love can be good, but having it at the right time and almost padding it with, with the softer stuff, with the appreciation, the letting them know what they're doing well, because the more that you appreciate people and tell them that, the more that they're going to want to do for your company, for your family, for for you, the more they're going to want to to interact with you and be with you, right? Yeah, totally. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, I feel like this is my kind of dual nature because I also see the value in both. Like, obviously, I'm a big proponent of communication and real conversations, but I also think that people should be able to own their shit and you know if if you fuck up like 
Right. It's no one else's responsibility. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, being yeah. able to take responsibility for what you do is is huge for sure. Yeah, yeah. And it's interesting because I, yeah, that's one of my big qualifiers for like real friendships too is am I going to have the the space and the kind of safety to call my friends out when they mess up and expect the same from them? Because I think that one thing I've observed kind of with professional relationships or kind of more acquaintance level, or even in sometimes within families, there's a, there's a real fear of kind of rocking the boat or disturbing the peace. And so that kind of leads us to let things go and not acknowledge bad things or challenge each other. So one thing I'd really try to do consciously is create an environment in my friendships and in my family that I'm close with that we can have those tough conversations because if not, then there's no lesson. There's no acknowledgement of hurting the other person. That's like one big thing I'm kind of realizing about say I want to improve my behavior and I want to, you know, it's kind of easy to say, okay, like I made a mistake or I hurt this person. I don't want to do it again. That's like very surface level and kind of easy to say, but I've realized that only by acknowledging and kind of naming how I heard them and, and saying it potentially even to them and saying, I see how I did this and I see how this hurt you. And I'm really sorry for me, that kind of makes it way more real and, and gives it a much stronger kind of motivation to change. And yeah, I think also that could be the, the problem with work culture, you know, and, and maybe it's not just as simple as like a generational thing. It's a little more like, we're, you know, for most people, work is their identity. It's their biggest pursuit. It's their passion. It's where they put 80% of their energy. But we can't have oftentimes really real conversations because it's like whatever the environment is from the top, whatever the kind of corporate culture is, that's the environment you have to operate in. So there's a lot of disconnect, I feel like. Absolutely. Yeah. So anyway, bit of a diatribe. But... Yeah, that's cool. Sports are dope. Yeah, I play I play sports too. I, I play rugby and um but I think I never I never went to that level of, of performance. I never played on a you know, like a, a D one team or it was always kind of that nice middle line between you know, it was truly competitive but still <laughs> like we didn't have that insane amount of push. And yeah. So what do you think, what did you learn from that? What did you learn from being in that environment where you are kind of hardened and, and, you know, yeah. What, what are your takeaways now with some space and time on the, on the pros and cons of that? I think it was a really good experience for me learning, almost learning how to be yelled at, which sounds kind of funny, but it, it does really <laughs> toughen you up. Um, and, and having that, especially I grew up as an only child and my parents never like yelled at me. They definitely set boundaries with me and were very specific on things that they expected from me, but there was never any yelling. There was always this, this mutual respect almost between my parents and I, which is something that I really think is cool about my relationship with them. They've always seen me as an equal almost, even when I was a kid. So then moving into this environment where suddenly you're treated like you're, you're almost like nothing, like you're, you're disposable, 
they're like, oh, you play like that, you, you don't have a spot on this team anymore. And, you know, saying stuff like that, and even to the point where they would insult you as, as a person. And it really, I mean, it hurts in the moment. And I, I don't totally. think that it's necessarily healthy. But having that experience was good because moving forward, if someone projects that kind of energy onto me in any kind of situation, if someone's yelling at me, being rude to me, I'm able to, to almost take a step back and look at it from the outside. And, and it's taught me to understand so that I don't break down crying <laughs> when my coach is yelling at me to understand where that, that energy is coming from and that it's not necessarily a personal attack and rather to look at them as a person and see what their intention is to me, because in sports, when coaches are yelling at you, it's purely for the intention of pushing you. They don't want to hurt you. They just want, they just know you have more in you. And so being able to take a step back and, and look at that in any situation as even if, you know, now if someone yells at me, I'm, I'm going to set boundaries there because I don't want that in, in other parts of my life other than sports. I'm still able to, to take a look at that and be like, OK, what's hurting them? What's causing their anger? And, and how can I how can I help them in that if they'll allow me? Mm. That's great. That's very, uh, very a peaceful way to approach it. Yeah, I feel like that is kind of the art of coaching is is knowing how far to push someone to where it's not actually going to hurt them because I think that's the the difference is that sure like you know there's a difference between intention and impact, right? Right. And a lot of coaching that I've seen go wrong is when it's push 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 but the the person who's pushing kind of loses the pulse of how much this group or this individual can take and then it past that point and then you create not you know uh, that, that that coach creates resentment and the result might come which makes everyone happy but that anger stays like the the biggest one that jumps out at me is that my high school had a rowing team and those guys it was an all-guy school were just constantly in a state of physical and psychological pain. <laughs> and it's kind of funny in the sense of how ridiculous it is, but it's really not funny because it's like they were seriously pushed way too far. And, and to this day, the people I know, you know, won't even touch a, a rowing machine or, or an erg machine or, you know, like I love swimming and open water swimming, but I know people who swam competitively as a kid and won't, won't even touch swimming because it's like a, a scar. So yeah. So how do you take that now with your coaching, right? Cause now you're a coach, you have, you have clients and, and you kind of want to strike that balance, I would assume. So how do you evaluate, you know, how far to push someone? Mm -hmm. So for me, I, I'll really get a sense from, from them. So with the energy work that I do when I'm coaching, I'm constantly reading their energy to see what they're ready for. The second I feel them kind of close off and shut down, I know that that's, we don't go there yet because they're not ready and pushing them to that point where they're closed down is you're not going to get anything out of them because it's not time for that stuff to come out in, in their own lives yet. And so then you can kind of shift it into where, what can we do? What can we find? How can we pull this pain out or these limiting beliefs out to in a way that will make them feel comfortable and also still get you the results that you want to see. And, and they'll kind of lead you in that direction too. So you almost allow them to take the lead, but at the same time you're guiding them through that mm -hmm. path. 
And then how do you say you identify a, a blocker or that topic that's too sensitive to talk about? How do you kind of communicate it to them that this is a, a, a thing? You know, how do you gently communicate that to them, right? Like, so let's say, for example, you're my, <clears throat> you're my coach and I have a ton of baggage from a specific uh, incident in high school. And it's mm-hmm. like coming up and, and blocking me. But every time you bring it up or talk about it, I get really shut down and, you know, scared. So how do you kind of talk around that or bring it up to me and, and let me know that it's something I need to kind of uh, unpack to move forward? Yeah, that's a great question. So in my very first session with all of my clients, I actually talk to them about the work that I do with energy so that they're on the same page as me and familiar with what I'm looking for. And then from there, when I see any block like that, I'll point it out to them and, and I'll just ask them or I'll, I'll even say to them, do you mind if I make an observation? And if they say yes, which most of the time they do, I'll be like, did you notice that your energy just shifted? That you just, you, you went right into to heavy mode, you shut down, you're, you're not ready to go in that direction yet. And they'll be like, oh yeah, that, that's true. And then we'll shift it from there. Where else do you see this pattern in your life? Where do you see this, this closing down when we're, we're moving in, in this direction? Where do you see these kinds of energy shifts? And then we can pull them in a different direction there. If they're not ready to go down that path yet, we can take them into another instance where they see the same pattern because it's the same psychological pattern that's happening um, and the same neurological processes. And we can shift them into that area of their life that maybe they are ready to talk about. We can dig into that, figure out what's causing that behavior, and then we can get them to apply it to that other part of their life that they weren't ready for before. Nice. That's cool. So to ask them, do you mind if I make an observation? Do you mind if I give my two cents on, on this? Mm-hmm. Nice. Yeah. That's a cool kind of tangible way to, to broach tough conversations. Yeah, absolutely. Cause then it, it makes them feel like what I like to say, you're on the same side of the table as them. That instead of, you know, sitting on the other side and, and you're directing at them, telling them things, you're just sitting next to them and you're there for them and you're showing up for them. Nice. That's cool. That's a good, that's a good one for our program too, because I think that, well, yeah, so actually here, this is a a roundabout way to get there. So of your clients, what's the breakdown by gender? Mainly female. I've had a couple of men, but for the most part, it's women. Right. And that, that, that kind of confirms my suspicion about who's willing to do this work and (laughs) <laughs> you know, do the self-improvement, right? Cause, cause the men in the world that I've seen and known, there's a lot of resistance to this whole concept. And yeah, that's kind of why I wanted to ask how to approach the tough conversation. Cause maybe there are some guys listening who aren't ready to jump into coaching, but they could have some things they want to talk about or some, you know, important people or relationships in their lives that they want to, you know, talk about certain things with, and that it could be a nice way to do it. Be like, Hey, I care about you. I care about our connection and I want to, you know, talk about something. Do you mind if I, you know, make an op, share some thoughts I've had on on some things I've observed about our dynamic. Yeah, absolutely. And I love that word share because it's really, instead of, instead of throwing the problem at the person, when you use that word, it's more so just 
I'm going to plant the problem here and we're on the same side of the table and I want to let you know I have this problem and I need your help to work through it. And so it becomes a partnership against the problem versus you versus the other person. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah, I kind of, right, because by naming it and acknowledging the the problem, it goes from this abstract thing between us to now something independent of us that's over there and the the connection between the people that matter is clearer, right? There's, there's that thing has now been identified about, okay, this is a something that we need a solution to instead of kind of like identifying the other person as the problem. Right. Exactly. And that even allows your relationship to grow stronger because you're working together against something. Nice. Yeah. 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 For sure. Dope. Cool. Well, that's really, that's really fascinating stuff. Thank you for, uh, thank you for sharing the, the five, the five energies. I'm definitely going to check that out. Is there, are there other kind of, um, like building blocks or fundamentals of the, the kind of journey within that you, you coach people up on? I think a big thing that I like to talk to people about is because I'm a big dreamer um, everyone who knows me knows I have these like crazy big dreams and, and nice. I don't care what anyone's going to say about it. I just, I love to dream. Um, and so I love to coach my clients through dreaming because I find a lot of people struggle to either start big things that they want to do or to, to continue when things get hard on their journey to stay motivated. And so I really like to shift them into this state. And I do this really early on in coaching is shift them into the state of what do you want your dream life to look like? And I don't mean dream life within what's quote unquote possible for me right now. I mean, dream, like if you could wave a magic wand and have anything that you want in the world, what would your life look like today? And getting them into the state of knowing that that's possible so long as they're willing to put in the work to get there, of course, Um, and shifting them into that state of dreaming gets them excited to one, actually make the shift into doing what they want to do with their lives because that's so important. And then two, staying motivated on that path that when things get hard, go back to that dream. How does that feel? You know, feeling the excitement and the gratitude of experiencing the, the big thing that you want to experience in your life. And that's going to keep you going through, through all the, the roadblocks. Totally. What are, what are some of your, your big dreams right now? My big dreams? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, <laughs> my biggest one, my big focus right now is on my business and my career. Um, so I'm very focused on creating a business where I can help people in the way that I have one help myself and been helped by other people in the past and to eventually build that up and into a huge community where we can all help each other. Um, and so I'm, I'm excited to get to that point. Totally. Yeah, totally. I'm sure you will too. That's a, that's a great vision. I think for me, I want to have a lifestyle where I can live on both coasts have houses in um, probably Philadelphia where I'm from and then maybe California, maybe, maybe somewhere else um, and just have like a, a setup where I can work wherever I, wherever I am and be able to kind of have a, a, a home in a place that really like connects with me, like here in the Bay area. And then also have a, a place to go. That's 
close to my home and my kind of deepest relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But yeah, that's, that's really cool. The dream big thing. I had a, a guy, Robert Riopel on here who is a, I don't think he does as much individual coaching, but he's a speaker and okay. he, the first step in his book, he wrote a book about kind of achieving success. And that's exactly what he said was dream big and actually write them down and make yeah. it tangible and make it real because that kind of transforms it from something that, you know, feels like a, you know, something that's not real to actually seeing it on paper and being like, it's possible. The other thing I love to do right. is just listen to interviews and stories and books and read it from people who have done that and started from nothing or started from a normal kind of life. And they created mm-hmm. this reality where they're extremely successful. It's like, right. Like anyone it's, it's possible and that whatever the heck it is, like that is extremely possible. And, if someone else can do it, you know, we can do it too. It's just a matter of, I feel like strategy and execution. Right. Exactly. And I think a great point on that too, is bringing back together that metaphysical in combination with the analytical stuff is there is a law in science that says nothing is created or destroyed. Right. And so if nothing is created or destroyed, everything that you want, everything that you can dream of and think of, whether it's just a specific life for yourself or even like an invention that already exists. Technically, you just have to find a way to pull that towards yourself and bring it into fruition in our physical reality. Nice. Yeah, that's cool. For sure. All of the matter, all of the, everything that will ever be in our lifetimes, at least is already here. So right. yeah, actually, well, I want to go back to the yelling thing. Cause that's an interesting mm-hmm thing i'm kind of moving away i don't know i'm not i don't like yell a lot but i definitely grew up you know in in philly it's very people are very aggressive and everyone's yelling at each other all the time and Mm. what i'm kind of learning is that it's possible to communicate frustration or communicate you know uh disapproval or whatever the, the emotion is without having to yell uh, mm-hmm. and I'm trying to work on that because I think that, I don't know, some, I, I'm kind of mixed on it. Cause sometimes I, I feel like it's like a healthy, you know, expression. It's a good way to get, move that energy out. But also I think it depends on the person. And if the person can't, doesn't interact with that well, or has like trauma around yelling or something like that, then it's really not worth my kind of selfish expression right there's probably other ways i can communicate what needs to be communicated with, without using that medium right yeah absolutely so. and and that definitely goes back to the whole uh, understanding what the person needs right because some people need the yelling to understand right like some people like that <laughs> but then a lot of people are like no don't yell at me or i'll shut down right and, and i think that's most people most people are probably on the the end of don't yell at me um And I think that, yeah, being able to control that difference between the emotion that we feel in our body and the thoughts that go through our head as a result of that emotion 
is so important because that anger is a very real human thing. And we have the right to feel all of those emotions. But the problem as humans is that we'll take that anger, bring it up into our head and then get into the cycle and bring back everything that has ever made us angry, which then makes us angrier. And then we get into a loop. Right. And so being able to process that that anger within yourself, but not let it get into your head and instead being able to just communicate, I feel really angry for this reason in a calm tone is so powerful. For sure. It's more deadly too. It's like Liam Neeson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's so true. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Cool. So the last thing I would love to kind of get your perspective on is just the the whole topic of, you know, men and how men move through the world and, you know, the whole show, the whole idea is to kind of model more wholesome masculinity. So do you have any observations on that as far as areas of improvement or ways that we can kind of support or encourage the men in our lives to take this stuff more seriously? Yeah, absolutely. So I, the way that I look at communication is there's always the two sides, right? And so looking at this from a woman's point of view, I'm, I'm going to talk mostly on, on like the woman men dynamic Um, And one thing that really struck me, I was reading a book about vulnerability. It was by Brene Brown. It's called Daring Greatly. One of the best books I've ever read. And it's specifically about vulnerability in all kinds of relationships. But she was interviewing a man. She typically interviews women, but she interviewed um, a man once. And he was talking about how, and so being able to process that, that anger within yourself but not let it get into your head and instead being able to just communicate, I feel really angry for this reason in a calm tone is so powerful. First, but two, for, for women to be able to be receptive to that change, to if a man comes to a woman with how they feel that they're not doing well or just want to have a conversation, even if you know it's a confrontational conversation, which can be hard sometimes, um, to be able to to hold, create and hold that space for the man to come talk to you and, and to, to understand that he is a human too and to let him be in that space and to feel those things because that is so important. And I think a great exercise too is this works for both men and women to envision if you have trouble with either side of those things to envision the other person as like a child, as the kid version of themselves. If you're about to have a confrontational conversation with someone or someone comes to you with something you're uncomfortable handling, look at them as the little kid version of themselves. If a little kid came up to you and said, I'm not doing well, I feel really sad. You know, how would you respond to them? You'd probably just give them a hug, be there for them, let them know everything's going to be okay. And, um, you know, same thing if you wanted to tell a kid that you weren't feeling okay, it wouldn't be as scary. Um, so I find that that having that in your mind is really helpful when it comes to those kinds of conversations. Nice. I love that. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I think no that's problem. very true because the conditioning goes both ways, right? As far as if men have been conditioned to bottle things up, then women have been conditioned to expect men to bottle things up, you know, subconsciously. Yeah. And perhaps too, that is a kind of underlying fear of a lot of men around why they're hesitant to share. Cause 
definitely among men, you know, it depends group to group, but you know, any sign of vulnerability is kind of seen, you know, seized upon as weakness and can be seized upon as weakness. And then shame and all kinds of other, you know, negative reactions. And, you know, imagine like with a partner, if subconsciously the, the man is afraid of that, cause that would be so hurtful, right? I'm at like the most painful hurt to kind of share with your closest person. And then, you know, if they react poorly or they shame you, that would be like the ultimate hurt, you know, to me, at least, I think that would be like really devastating. So it makes a lot of sense. And I think that yeah. gets down to, you know, picking the right partner <laughs> or the right friends or the right confidant, right? Someone who's going to be non-judgmental and know how to, how to support. Um, so here's a good one too. So for, for men, how would you coach someone to coach a man on how to hold that space too? So like, let's say someone comes to them with a lot of emotion and, you know, needs to talk to them about it. How, how would you coach someone to a man to kind of hold space? Because that's something mm-hmm. that's not really taught either. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the very first thing to remember is that the more open and inviting that you are to that person who's coming to you, because they are coming to you because they trust you with something, right? People, people don't tend to open up to people they don't trust. And so knowing, first of all, that that's a really special thing to have someone trust you to the point that they want to share something really, really, you know, vulnerable with you. And to remember that this is an amazing opportunity and we see these little, they're almost like forks in the road. And this comes in every kind of relationship. It's an opportunity to go one way, which is to shut down and and not talk to them. And that slowly chips away at your relationship. You go down that path or you can choose to go down the other path and open up, be there for the person. And that grows you guys closer together. And so Well, of course, it's easier said than done, because like you said, men have been conditioned for so long to not be open to that stuff, to to almost remember that that person is coming to you for them and because they see you as someone who can help them. And so being able to be there for them, you don't even necessarily have to do anything, you know, just if you're there to hug them or just tell them it's okay, just being present with them and very energetically present, right? just you're, you're there, no distractions, not thinking of anything other than them is already a huge magical thing to be able to have with someone to just feel that you're not alone in that moment is already huge. So I think that if that's something that anyone's really struggling with, the first step would just be just be energetically present. And that's, that's a great first step. Nice. And the breath is a great way to do that. Mm-hmm. Keep breathing, stay, stay, uh, stay grounded. Yeah. Absolutely. Awesome, Kalani. Well, what a what a wonderful conversation. Thank you so much for those insights and sharing sharing all of that. Of course. Thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah. So we'll we'll jump on over to the three things game. Perfect. The best the best game alive. Okay. What month <laughs> is your birthday in? <laughs> it's in March. March. Okay. So you're up first. Here's your question. What are three things you've learned about leadership? Oh, that's a good question. Okay, number one, I think 
leading with love is very important. Being there for the person as a person rather than being someone who's like, quote unquote, superior to them and being there for them outside of just the work environment. Um, so caring about their family and caring about their, their external projects, all of that is very important. Um, two is remembering that being vulnerable yourself is going to help grow you guys closer. And when you're vulnerable with them, it's going to establish a lot more trust between the two of you guys, and it's going to create a better environment. And then three is really focusing on the the culture of whoever you're working with is that is so important because the second the culture slips even a little bit, it's like, it's like when you get like a loose string on clothing, it just like completely rips apart. So being really on top of the culture and being very specific with the new people who come in, setting the tone of what the culture looks like and keeping that culture steady and checking in with the people um, who are in your, in your environment to make sure that that is staying, staying the same. Nice. So lead with love, model, vulnerability, and keep the culture consistent. Yeah. Nice. Dope, dope, dope. Okay, what are three things I've learned getting into trouble? Mm. Uh, <laughs> I think it is good to challenge rules and challenge boundaries sometimes. Um, I would say not people's boundaries, but maybe more like structures, institutions, family contracts. Cause it's good. Like I was the youngest. So I kind of was the, the troublemaker in in the sense of kind of pushing the boundaries. And that was fun. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I don't think anybody really got hurt by it. Um, Yeah. That maybe, but I don't think so. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) uh, Number two, I think that there's a fine line between the people who will get in trouble with you and and whether those are good people or not in your life. Because again, like excitement has value and creating memories has value. But also, you know, if the people, this is kind of more for like a young person or, or actually even adults listening, like young adults like us who aren't conscious about who they pick as friends, you know, if if, if friends are kind of doing some shenanigans with you, like that could be a lot of fun, but also like I would say for me, I I definitely keep an eye on that and whether or not they're good influences and that is important. Cool. Kalani, well, uh, where can the good people find your, your coaching and your, and your work? And if anybody wants to connect with you, how's the best way for them to do that? Mm -hmm. So I work a lot on both Facebook and LinkedIn. It's just my first and last name, Kilani Donna on both of them. And then I also have an Instagram account where I will post a lot about coaching. It's also just my first and last name. Super easy. And then um, I have a scheduling link too that I can get to if you wanted to book a discovery call with me to see how coaching uh, could help you and what you're working with, Um, which if you want, you can email me too. It's my first and last name at gmail.com. Nice. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I'm sending you gratitude and wish you have an awesome uh, rest of your week. Thanks so much for, for hopping on here and for the awesome conversation. Yeah, thank you. You too.